Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast, the original Alien and Predator podcast. I'm regular host Aaron Percival, aka Corporal Hicks. And this is Ridgetop, aka Adam Zeller. I did that the other way around. Whoops. <laughs> no, no, nothing like uh, variety in these things. And uh, you know what? I'll add even more variety by introducing the next guy, myself. And joining us is none other than Mr. Chris Travis, aka Chevy. Hey everyone. How's everybody doing before we start, I guess? How are we coping? Hanging in there. We're just barely starting to open things back up here in Utah and a number of other states, and it's a little soon if you ask me, but hey, I guess people are ready to get the show back on the road and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Fuck lives. Just gotta get them yeah. haircuts, guys. Gotta get them haircuts. <laughs> exactly. I need one. Look at these. The victim. <clears throat> this. Yeah, exactly. How are you doing, Chris? I know you've been using I'm the right time now. to uh, get some comic reading in as well. Well, let's be honest, because of my job, nothing's changed for me whatsoever. Except I'm allowed to go out to work, but then I'm not allowed to go out with my mom. <laughs> so. <laughs> same, same. I'm still working. Some days at home, some days at work. But I'm keeping busy. Got plenty of articles going. Doing plenty of stuff for the website and stuff. So, yay. Hope everybody else out there is keeping, um, keeping okay. Keeping sane. Keeping safe, more importantly. But we're here as part of the keeping sane thing. Give you guys a bit, and girls, a bit of entertainment. So if uh, Chevy's appearance hasn't clued you in, we're going to be doing a literature episode. We're going to be talking about the last Alien book, or sorry, Aliens book that came out, which is Aliens Phalanx. What did we decide, Chris? Phalanx for the British, Phalanx. Phalanx for us, Phalanx for Americans. Yep, that's about right. I didn't realize it was um, a different region thing. I didn't I didn't realize you guys pronounce that differently. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. So. <laughs> you, you <laughs> just say phalanx, just naturally. This is yeah, where we'll just, we just say phalanx. Oh, you're saying it wrong. <laughs> hey, I googled how to pronounce phalanx, and that's what it told me. Phalanx? Phalanx. It had two yeah. options. It, it was British yeah, and, we and could, American. We definitely call it phalanx. So this this is going to be a spoiler-filled episode. We are going to be reviewing Phalanx. Been out two months now? Was it out in March? Yeah, it was out in March. It was it was just before our lockdown kicked in, actually. That's right. If you haven't read it and you don't want it spoiled, bugger off, read it, come back, and then have a listen. If you haven't read it as well, do go read this. This is one of my top four Alien books. I can't recommend this one enough, personally. Obviously, we'll find out a little bit about what everybody thinks as well. I'll read the... I'll read the synopsis first, and then we'll go into uh, mini-reviews. So just as a reminder then, the synopsis off the back. Atagina was an isolated world of medieval castles and rich cultures, vibrant until the demons rose and slaughtered 90% of the planet's population. Swarms of lethal creatures with black tusks, murderous claws, and barbed tails and dreaded toothed tongues rage across the land. Terrified survivors hide in ruined mountain keeps where they eke out a meagre existence. Skilled runners travel the treacherous path between keeps, maintaining trade and sharing information. If caught, they die screaming. Well, that's not true. There's a whole mantra about that. Anyway, Alia of Lemeth Hold is an exceptional runner, constantly risking her life for her people. When she and her closest companions discover a new weapon, it may offer the one last chance... One last chance to end the demon plague. But to save humanity, the trio must fight their way to the tunnels of Black Smoke Mountain, the lair of the mythical demon mother. You know what? I very rarely read the synopsis as after the first one comes out. I didn't realise how much that gave away. That just gave quite a lot away. That like, gave yeah. a lot away. Wow. Pretty much even up to the third act. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Black Smoke Right up towards the end of the book. 
So you wrote a review about this already, Aaron. And this is the third book you've given a 10 out of 10 to? Fourth. Fourth. Yeah, which in my top oh, fours. I thought it was well, actually, no, that, that that's a lie. Sorry, I've written three 10 out of 10s, but there is a fourth book I would give a 10 out of 10 when I actually got around to doing a proper review for it. What's that one? So I've written reviews for Phalanx, Cold Forge, Music of the Spears, which are all 10 out of 10s, but I would also 10 out of 10 Berserker. Oh. From the olden days, which was, I think, the last book of the the original Bantam run. That's been re-released as part of the omnibuses, though. Yes. From Titan, right? Yeah, I think I think his volume six, I think, has both Music of the Spears and Berserker in it. They were the last two of the run, so you can pick up two of the best in one in one omnibus. There, I do recommend. I do recommend those. Actually, I want, I want Chris to kick us off with this one because no matter what, when we were talking about this leading up to it, you were convinced that it was going to be a bag of shit. Yeah, I thought it was a terrible idea. <laughs> well, the way I had it, we had it described though was medieval like knights versus aliens. I was like, this isn't going to work. How can it work? Because in melee combat, like the alien would win. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, it obviously can't be like that in the book because the main characters are going to be killing aliens all the time and things like that. So to me, in, in my head, it just wouldn't have worked. But to my absolute surprise, this book turned all those expectations on their head. The fact that one alien is described in the book as taking out seven people before they can bring one down is exactly how it should be. Exactly how it should be. And it was just like that from beginning to end. And even though uh, maybe not quite to the end once well, the no. once the MacGuffin comes into play, but the MacGuffin thing, like I was looking for for like what I would call like the red button. Like there's got to be some kind of magical thing somewhere that's got to help them be the alien. And there is one. But to be honest, I, I don't feel as though it was like cheesy or anything like that. And even the explanation they gave for this MacGuffin that we'll go into, I'm sure, a bit later was fairly reasonable. With the fact that people who stood up and fought an alien died. I'm maimed as well. Like Alia, she You call her Alia? I thought it was Ahalia. Ahalia, yeah. Yeah. I've never I've never been good with pronouncing names. You guys should <laughs> yeah. know this by now. See, I just listened to the, the narration as as I read. It's kind of a new thing I'm doing that helps me keep pace in a book. Because I don't know about a lot of our viewers, but I find that if I'm reading something myself, I'll be like, wait, this happened when? And I'll kind of go back and, and look at something. But I find that if I read the book, typically digitally on Kindle, and then I'll do the audible narration with it, I can set the pace, I can bump up the speed to almost double speed. And it just helps me consistently, like it improves comprehension. So it's just this new way of, of reading I've, I've been trying. And I find it pretty effective because a lot of these book narrators, even though they're just reading the material, they still do different voices for the characters. And it creates that <laughs> distinction that helps build a better picture in your mind, I think. So yeah, I just I, thought I, I'd show that. But yeah, it, it's it's a book that, I don't know, it, it just turned all my expectations around. Like, this is up there with me, with Cold Forge. It, it has things in it that I really like, because I, I like Aliens, but I, I like, I think Alien is probably my favourite setting, not Aliens as such, but it has these uh, fantastic set pieces and things like that, which, I don't know, the way that Scott describes them, they're just they're magnificent, in my head, anyway. But like I say, it's up there. I think at one point I said, Aaron, that I think it was my favorite over Alex's yeah. book. Yeah, but it's not. I think the requel, because they're very different books, uh-huh. very different angles. I mean, this one's Aliens and Cold Forge's Alien. So, but yeah, there was, I like the characters in this, even though uh, the narrator decided that Cream was a valley girl. 
in the audible book. Yeah, there were some weird yeah. choices it's for his funny. voice. Yeah. It's funny. Like, I, I, I did find it quite amusing. Like, I, I really, I think it actually suited the character as well the way he was written. I do. He was very, yeah, he was very good. Kind of lispy, sarcastic, and he portrayed it pretty well. So you, you listen Bro, to the you are, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you listen to the audiobook as well, then, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. It's the only way you read, isn't it? Yeah, it's the only way I can read. That's all those all those trucking hours. That's it. Let's get work done. To be fair, I listened to snippets of the audio books. Yeah, you went back and forth, huh? Yeah, so commutes. not that I've had much commute time now anyway, because I'm, on, I'm only in work half the time, two days a week at most these days. So I'm really behind on fucking podcasts and, and stuff like that at the minute. Because it's funny, you know what you were saying, Adam, about it help you read by reading and listening to things at the same time. It's a concentration thing, isn't it? Like, I, for the life of me, when I'm at home, I cannot listen to podcasts. I cannot listen to audiobooks just sat here in front of my desk because I don't, I can't, my attention span wanders. So I'm yeah. like doing other things. I'm like reading the forums or reading Facebook and stuff and I'm not paying attention and it pisses me off. I get pissed off with myself for doing it. So I can only pay attention to audio stuff when I'm in the car. Otherwise, I do I do prefer to, to sit and read the thing. So I only ever catch snippets. I, I buy them all for when I am out and about and stuff. Like good trips to London, you know, when I'm doing conventions and stuff, I get through a good chunk a good chunk of them then. But yeah, I, I just thought that was funny because I don't think I would cope doing what you did. <laughs> well, that, that helps me keep focus as well. Like if it's the same thing for me, but just with reading a, a longer novel that you have to sit down and just be with for a long period of time, I'll get distracted. But if I have those multiple sensory inputs coming, like I'm hearing it, and I'm reading it at the same time, it's much easier for me to keep focus. Otherwise, I would probably just rather go to a coffee shop if I was going to read or something where I can sit down like, okay, I'm going to spend some time doing this. But at home, there's just, I don't know, there's distractions, things pulling my attention. So it helps me to remain totally focused. It's it's just a new technique I've been doing, and I've only really done it for these for this and prototype. And I really enjoyed reading both of them. So I That's might fair. stick with this way of doing it. You know, I did find some, not to get into this too much, but I found a, a couple similarities of this and prototype in the terms of both Ahalia and Zula were both leading a squad of, of people who they were kind of close knit to. Ahalia was a bit closer to a smaller group of people in this Zula one. Zula wasn't but really close to hers, though. That's true. Not not nearly as much yeah. as this. But so very mild similarities, I guess. But both of them, you know, leading their, their groups up against an overwhelming threat, I guess, and kind of a build up to that. So not too many similarities, but just kind of the overall focusing on this very strong female protagonist leading a group of people against overwhelming odds, which is pretty alien, I guess, yeah, in I terms mean, of it's... its theming. Chris, then, wrap us up with your short one, then. Yeah, sorry, I've interrupted you like three times. Sorry. <laughs> so what these conversations are all about at the end of the day. Give us a number. can't remember what I gave called Forge. It was either a nine or a ten, and it would have to be the same for this one as well. It would have to be. Very well-written characters, very good story. Yeah, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Adam, then, you can actually have a fucking turn to yourself now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what expectations did you have going into it? So my expectations were pretty much just set up from what you had told me about it, which is that it was phenomenal. And I saw parts of your review without spoiling it for myself. And so I was pretty hyped up for it. And I'm already sounding negative here. I really enjoyed the book. Like, it was a great book. I do think you were a bit generous with your 10 out of 10. <laughs> but I feel like part of that was probably expectations I had from 
reading the book itself. Like the first act, I love how it opened. I really, really liked. And I was kind of hoping it would stick with that theming of her as a runner. But very quickly in the second act, it shifts and she's in a very prominent leadership position. And the tone just kind of changed for me there. I do feel it kind of came back near near the end when it kind of gets to the climax and they go to Black Smoke Mountain. That's when I was really into it again. But there was a good chunk in the middle that I was kind of like, oh, this is not really going the direction I was hoping it was and that I thought the first act was setting it up to. But again, that's my personal expectation that I got just based on how I felt about the world I was reading about. And the world is really interesting, especially like how the the holds are described. So we're not really told much about what's happening here other than it's somewhat feudal society, but they still have some technological elements, if you could call them that. Like a lot of the, the waters on the planet are bioluminescent. And so they have these things called glow pipes that illuminate the interiors of these holds. These holds are described like giant castles, but meant to keep things out, obviously, because they've been dealing with the aliens or as they call them, the demons for a long time on this planet. And so just the way Scott describes the world and how things work and the political tensions between the different holds, it was really well crafted. And I really like Ahalia as, as a protagonist and the two side protagonists, which were Crean and Brandon. So for me, I still really enjoyed it. It was one of the better alien novels I'd read, especially because of how intriguing and and just different it was and unique in terms of its setting. But it just, I don't know. And, and again, this is mostly on me. It didn't go in all the directions I was hoping it would go. But I still really enjoyed it. I would probably give it like an 8 out of 10, personally. So still like good, really good, but just not like blow my mind good. Like it seemed like it was for you guys. I know you haven't read Cold Forge yet what but (laughs) that's next on the list how how would you place it in terms of the other alien novels that you have read them it was one of the better ones i've read in in recent memory i i liked it better than prototype i probably liked out of the shadows more okay really yeah the whole ripley retcon and all i i still really loved out of the shadows it was a good book it was it was was a solid book but i don't think i would have placed it on this level no well, you and I have different tastes when it comes to this content. <laughs> we need, we need <laughs> as to has been established. Shadows um, episode, actually, because we never did one on those. We never did one? Did, we did one for the audio drama, didn't we? No. Yeah. Mm. Have we not done any for the, that trilogy? No. No. You know, this this one would be prime material for an audio drama. I oh, think God, it would yeah. lend itself yeah, real, I think you would. real well. I think I think we're talking audio dramas. I mean, look at that's the fattest alien book that's been done. I mean, what was it? Five hundred pages? Yeah, that's the longest book I've read in a while. Just so. just over five hundred pages. Most alien books are normally about three hundred, three fifty kind of length. And if you're curious on how big the audio book is, that's fourteen hours and twenty minutes of goodness. Fourteen hours, Jesus. A little less if you speed it up, though. <laughs> I don't speed it up. <laughs> purist <laughs> i would be more than willing to listen to an audio drama on this i mean dirk's been doing a fantastic job on on them so far he's been responsible for all of them right yes the the four that we've had so far unfortunately one hasn't been announced for this year and there probably won't be one it's been a quiet year compared to last year <laughs> in terms of new stuff i mean we still have a lot of good stuff coming we still got a good chunk. I mean, we had this in March. We've got Infiltrator in... A lot of this stuff October. was announced last year, though, wasn't it? 
Oh, do you, you mean you mean in terms of new stuff being announced? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. right, right, right. No, we still have a lot of good stuff coming, but it just seemed like like last year the announcements were this and this and this. Like the Alien Three audio drama with Michael Bean and Lance Henriksen. Like all the audio audible audio dramas are so well produced, uh-huh. and so I really, really want more of those. And this book would be awesome for it. Yeah. And Cold Forge. Yeah. Quite tired. Cold Forge as well. Just get that get that done. Keep adapting them like they have been doing, but it's not looking likely for this year. But they have announced a new a new book by Alex White. That's due next year into oh my god, pronouncing Charybdis? it. Tri- into Charybdis? Yeah. Something Everyone's like gonna that. have a hard time with that. Yep. So the size of this thing, I was so surprised how fast I flew through it. Yeah. Yep. It had really quick pacing. Yeah. I know it didn't feel like it, it it just flew by too fast. It felt like it was flying by just right. You know, I I never felt anything less than just perfectly fine pace to it, which I really liked. Because at the end of the day, these 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 things don't have a runtime. You know, they should just be able to go as long as they need to go. And I very much felt like Phalanx did that. I was very happy with it. So I love this. I I absolutely loved Phalanx. Top four alien novels for me. And I think a good part of why I like it so much is just because of how different it is. That's one of the reasons I love Music of the Spears as well. I really, really appreciate it when they try and do something different with the series. That's still very true to the series. But, yeah, but still very true, yeah, sure. but doing something very, very different. I mean, this setup, you know, the medieval setup has been done twice before. Twice before in the Dark Horse comics, you have stalker which ends up being it's, it's a it's a marine telling a tale but the majority of the tale is set in like the viking times and the other one which i'd completely forgot about i'd completely forgot about the second comic until it was mentioned to me after i'd finished reading phalanx which was the one i told you to read whose name i now can't remember alchemy it was alchemy very very similar in terms of setup and, and a lot of specifics actually to phalanx so i think that's the way to tell these kind of alien stories, I guess, which would be a question for later with some of the reveals as to how much you guys were expecting certain elements. So because it was like the first novel to do this and it did it so well is a reason that I really, really enjoyed it. Scott Siegler, we haven't, we've said Scott, but we haven't actually said the author. You know, it was written by Scott Siegler. He's he's known for a few sort of sci-fi horror kind of things that also ape on aliens a bit. And was this his first foray into the alien franchise or did he do one for bug hunt he did a short in bug hunt which was again different and one that really stood oh out yeah one from the perspective of the, the aliens, the aliens right? yeah dangerous yep. prey was what it was called and that that was one of the handful in bug hunt that i actually really liked bug hunt was a bit of a, a failed experiment for me but there was a good five or six out of the 20 odd stories in there that i really really enjoyed and made it near enough wor- worth it for me do you think If It Bleeds was a better anthology yeah. than Bug Hunt? Yeah. There wasn't a single story in there I didn't like. Everything in there I enjoyed. Even, I was completely surprised, but, you know, John Shirley came back. And John Shirley is responsible for one of the worst Predator entries in the world, which was Forever Midnight. I didn't think Forever Midnight was that bad. It has been a minute since I've read it. 
Forever Midnight is awful. It's just because nobody likes the Hish. I thought the book was actually not too bad. I like I like the Hish in Flesh and Blood. I don't like the Hish in Forever Midnight. But yeah, he came back and he knocked it out of the park with his short in there. You know, there wasn't a single one in If It Bleeds that I didn't enjoy, which is a bit of a problem for Stalking Shadows, actually. But we'll we'll talk about that later. Yeah, so let's let's do specifics then. Does anybody have a particular element they want to start with? So I love how it opened. So I guess we can just start with the beginning. Yes. It really reminded me of the scene in Lord of the Rings, if you've read the books or watched the movies, where they're just hiding from the Ringwraith in the forest. Yeah. Because our three main characters are a group of runners. And these runners essentially are meant to deliver messages, supplies, and trade from these various different holds. So these city fortresses. And depending on... These different cities have different laws and different obligations they require of their citizens. And the hold of our protagonist, which is Leneth Hold, these are all kind of holds in the mountains, if I'm... Uh I'm correct on that. Uh, They require five runs for males and 10 runs for females. And early on in the book, we see what happens if someone refuses to run and they get executed. Whereas in some of the other holds we see later, running is voluntary. But it kind of reminded me of the certain countries that have like a military obligation for their citizens. But yeah, obviously, this is far more dangerous because the, the runners, they, they all carry these knives with them called little friends, which are meant to kill themselves because they're, they're told these mythological interpretations of the alien life cycle that they'll be transformed by the demon mother into a new demon. It's and so, magic. yeah, by dark magic or something. The magic so spiders. not only to save themselves the from the horror of, of whatever it is that the demons do to them as far as they know, but to prevent them from becoming another threat to their hold, they try and kill themselves. But very early on, Ahalia makes it clear that not everyone has the the strength to do that, of course, and some just get dragged away. But it was a very interesting scene because it starts off, the three of them are hiding from the alien and she has all this internal dialogue going on like, oh, would I be strong enough to do this? And the alien eventually goes away and they go back on their run on their return to their their hold. But it was a really tense way to start the book. And I was I was hoping there would be more of that. I was just hoping that yeah. they would focus on her as a runner before it jumped to this leadership role of hers. I get that that was just my expectation. I mean, the book is called Phalanx and it's about her being into military tactics and eventually taking on that role. And that's a huge part of it. But I just loved the tension of their early runs in the book. So that first scene was really strong for me. And then they get back to the hold and it kind of establishes the world a bit that they live in, in these fortresses. Again, that pretty much everyone's expected to kind of do their part. But when they get back, they have to meet with the council and we're introduced to the leader of the hold, which has the title of the Margrave. But before we get into that, what did you guys think of the opening scene? Were you like instantly kind of hooked like I was with that? Yep. This is where I thought maybe, just maybe I'm wrong about my preconceived notions going into this book. It was, the, it was the, like straight away. It's like, this is the perfect way to start this kind of book. It was exciting. It was so tense as well. And it hit the floor running, which I think is a very important thing with, with media sort of times like this, because the people that are reading them know the world to some degree of what it's saying. I tend to get bored when the characters are playing catch up with us. It really, really irritates me in, in media times. It's a problem I have with the new Predator book at the minute. So 
straight out the gates, the characters knew what they were dealing with on their own terms, but they knew, you know, what the aliens were and, and how they functioned. And that's all established straight away in, in, in that, you know, in that scene in, in her monologuing while she's going through her, her mantras and, and her responsibilities and, and not allowing herself to be taken and stuff like that. So world building straight away, the kind of world building that I like, but also a fucking tense scene. I mean, I had no idea how that was going to play out. I, d- I didn't know if everybody else was going to die or what what was what was going to happen at that point and it i think it set the stage for the rest of the book so really really well and the imagery in there as well uh, from what yeah. i remember was was really good you know the way scott described the alien i know he liked to describe it as wet rock <laughs> uh, the smell of wet rock quite a lot which wet was moss on rock yeah something which was interesting well, right after this scene, we're introduced to our other two main characters. So there's a senior runner that's essentially in charge of all the runners of the hold, but she is kind of like a squad leader, I guess. What's the actual, is there an actual name for her position at this point? Senior runner, I think. Yeah, Sen- senior runner. Well, what do they call the one who's in charge of, I thought that was senior runner. Cause, yeah, that is senior runner. Yeah. Because she's not that at this point. There's someone oh, else yeah, who's yeah, a senior yeah, runner. someone else. Yeah. yeah. She's a crew, like crew, crew leader. leader. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that was it. I think they called them crews. But yeah, when we're first introduced to Crean, he's very kind of like an asshole, very sarcastic. And he initially, the through the book, to be fair. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Initially, I thought he was just going to be this bad character that sabotages their chances of survival. And I was like, oh, no, we're going to get another Michael from Echo. <laughs> this is going to be bad. But no, I ended up liking him more than any other character in the book. Yeah. So he yeah. becomes uh, a great character. He's probably most realistic, I think. All the characters, I think, have got fantastic depth and development. Oh, God, yeah. All of them. It was like one of the things that I really like with Cold Forge. You know, they were all grey, basically. You know, they were all shades of grey. Even uh, Alia was, because she she ends up being a bit of a bitch at times. Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, her whole thing with Tolio at the end, I was, like, not quite expecting how they handled the characters. And they were all quite complex. They all had very differing motivations, but very understandable motivations as well. You know, Brendan and his and his whole hero, not worship, but desire, I guess, kind of thing. Yeah. Or, or came across as very believable. I mean, even the Margrave was, he was an asshole. But in his own way, he was he was running the place how it had always run, how it had always worked. You know, he was that guy that didn't realize that change happened. Uh, he, was, he was an exceptional asshole, as we find out later. <laughs> you know, one of those leaders that was very much only in it for himself. And that was, you know... The purpose of how he did things was how can I better my my leadership position. But didn't you buy into the stuff earlier on though? You know, through through Alia's sort of conflict with how to deal with him and her thoughts are regarding him. To me, well, really, he was... it was only when the Margrave got involved with Alia that you start to realise that oh, maybe there is some kind of corruption. Well, going yeah. On I mean, now that you mentioned that, Aaron, there were a couple times initially where I thought, oh, I don't know really what's going on with this Margrave character, especially when he goes to her living quarters and he has the meeting and she wants to be a warrior, but women can't be warriors in their society. And so he says he'll take it under consideration. Like up until that point, I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe we'll see what happens with this character. But later when certain events start happening and we kind of see who he really is, especially when, when it comes to political tensions with the other holds, then you're like, wow, this dude is fucking terrible. And he ends up getting what he deserves. But there were some interesting 
I don't know if I could call it social commentary, but definitely, I guess, in the context of things we're going through, there was, I don't know, a lot of themes where even with this immense threat of the aliens and them having to fight for their lives and a dwindling population, they were still ready to go to war with each other. And they were still having these stupid, petty squabbles about refugees, especially like, oh, we can't take these refugees. We can't feed these refugees. And I do like how that that came into play later in the book. But inklings of that start showing up initially where they're always negotiating in terms of trade. And they're very like, oh, they're they're not giving us a fair deal. We might like spy on this other hold. So yeah, there's a lot of like human on human conflict tensions, which again is another major theme of the Alien franchise, right? Like, yeah, I don't know which species is worse. So it did that pretty well. That is so human and so alien. And that kind of thing is something I've become more aware of the older I've gotten, the more I've had to navigate working, basically. And it's funny because I've I've no taste for it in the real world. I have no taste for politics and corporate politics and stuff like that. So, you know, in in the middle of the book when they've dealt with their first, uh, you know, the first invasion of Lemeth and they've dealt with it and they all sort of stop to recuperate and decide what they're doing. You know, all that jockeying for power in the middle of that when they, their life over the next three days wasn't guaranteed. It really pissed me the fuck off. But I was like, it's realistic, but Jesus Christ, I hate you people and I hate humanity when this, <laughs> yeah. when this happens. But a lot of this, I thought, was like, there's a lot of parallels, I think, from like today's politics put oh, into God, this yeah. book in a, in a medieval, yeah. well, not like this this Greek Roman setting in an alien universe, because you basically got the old generations not listening to the youth. Uh-huh. The youth are the ones that have got it right throughout the entire book. It's, it's, it's really well, not not all of the old generation. The Margravine, there's a, a female leader of another hold that comes into play later, and she's very different to the the Margrave of of Leneth hold, and she very much does listen to the younger generation. There were a couple things that I wish the book had gone into more. Like, what was the other hold? The one that Dakatera hold, right? She was Dakatera was in charge of that one. Throughout the whole book, people of Lenneth Hold are like, oh, this, the Dakotarans and their crazy religion, but it never really goes into what that religion is. It made me very curious about that. I guess it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, though. It was just nah. enough to know that they were different, which again, you know. Yeah. But also Lenneth Hold was, was very religious, and that kind of comes into play, too. And that's kind of when I first started realizing, oh, yeah, the leader of this hold is an asshole, was when he brought in his priest, essentially, that... This is after a couple of other holds had been invaded with aliens. And the priest is just like, oh, these people kind of deserve this because they were following the long, the wrong religions. And let's make sure we follow ours more closely. And Ahalia makes that that note as well. Like, oh, yeah, he's just using this for power. And Crean kind of points that out to her. I think that's the point she actually realizes, though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, fuck the Margrave kind of moment. I mean, they were right once, the, the elders, about the medical supplies. They had actually held back medical yes. supplies because it kind of plays like, because Ahalia is only 19, you could say perhaps she's a bit naive doing these trade runs and things like that. Like she believes what she's told. So there are some aspects where the Margrave and his council are actually right in what they're saying. But they've also got, you've also got this barrier where they don't listen to the youth. The youth think they're right. So, there's no proper forms of communication. But the other thing that I really liked, I don't know about you guys, is when, because they're saying that she can't be a warrior because she's a woman. But the reason being is actually quite good because she cannot hold a shield in a phalanx. So without being able to hold the shield and the spear together, 
that's what they say, isn't it? Without that person, the person to your left of you dies. The person to your right dies. Phalanx is only as strong as the person next to you. Something next like to you. That, isn't it? Yeah. Like she is yeah, not she, physically strong she was, enough to do it. She was even saying in, in some of her entire internal dialogue that there's other military positions that she could have because she just wanted to be a warrior. And I didn't know if all of those were typically part of the phalanx. From the the impression I got was that there were no other roles. No, you were a phalanx fans first, and then if you couldn't do well, anything else, you were an archer. Dakatera, because they they had women warriors. Yeah, but that and... was a different society. That's the thing, isn't right. it? Yeah. You know, Lemeth Lemeth was the one that was this sexist kind of. Yeah, yeah. I say they they were the ones that seriously had some equality issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though you know she tried, but she couldn't. She couldn't hold the shield. Yeah, she tried. Yeah, it was interesting because there were a lot of elements like that. You know, it's one of the things I was saying about you know the Margrave early on. I'm not being quite so sure what was you know what was right or wrong in in that in you know in in those situations yeah it took her to come along and say you know i can tell these guys what to fucking do because i got a brain you know where it sort of questions the situation and and the setup of of their military kind of thing i I agree with you chris you know there's there's lots of nothing's truly black or white in phalanx no that's right and again that's another one of the reasons i like it and it was one of the things i liked in cold forge yep me too. Eventually, I think the Margrave is pretty black yes. in terms of... It eventually gets there when the revolution, you know. I suppose, comes, you know, when the world of Atagina changes for the better. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when the situations change and, and the leadership changes and stuff like that. I did really like Crean. Going back to what you were saying, you know, he does very much come across as an asshole, but I'm very sympathetic asshole because I can completely understand where he's coming from. You know, I wouldn't want to fucking be be out there running. I wouldn't have the strength to slit my neck. I mean, these runs, they're literally saying it takes days to get from hole to hole. Mm -hmm. And they can't light fires. They have to sleep in burrows that other animals make or sleep in bushes. Like, it's horrendous. Baking in your own sweat and BO and stuff like that as well. Yeah, they make a lot of comments about how each other smell. (laughs) In that initial, that entry, she actually says, I hope, like, the wind doesn't change direction because the alien might be able to smell her. Mm. And it's like, oh, that's how, like, serious this book's going to go. Okay. awesome i mean even though he was a genuine arse at times i think a lot of it came from his genuine fear of the world that he was living in. yes yeah i think it, yeah it was a self-defense mechanism yeah and and he didn't you know it, there was a point when towards the middle of the book before it shifts into gear it shifts gear and changes what it's doing that you know that he's like i'm not going back out there i'm just gonna fucking i'm gonna take the, the beheading fuck this yeah shit. He, was done. he was done because the civilization that he lived in didn't value him as an intellectual, you know? And at the end of the day, it was his observation, you know, Hobbes, his skills as an intellect that won them won them their planet back. Yeah. Island back, I guess, because it was mostly set on an island, wasn't it, rather than a, a big-ass landmass? It was interesting how they focused on this military training when they hadn't really had a significant battle with the other holds for a while. I mean, they talked a lot of these older battles, and there's this persistent threat of these other humans on this world that they just referred to as the Northerners, but the book never really goes into them too much, and they do end up showing up at the end. But we only know them as this other military force that was, I guess you could almost maybe think of them as the Vikings or something like that, that just came from another part of the planet that threatened these people a while ago. Then on the grand scheme of things, it was, what, 50 years that the aliens had been active? 60 years, something like that? Yeah. I'm not sure how. So it was rising. 
So it's it's pretty short term in terms of human memory. I I kind of wish we'd had Clara on the show actually for this question because well the question is. Did she tell you how she um how she liked it overall? Did she like as much as you guys did? Yeah, Clara Clara really enjoyed Phalanx, didn't she? I'm sure she said she has. Ahalia then. She had a hell of a lot going on with her throughout this book and it was really interesting to see how her mentality changed all throughout yes. you know it was an obligation to run she had to do this and then she but then what were her options afterwards did she want those options no maybe she'll keep going and, and running because that was her contribution to the hold if she couldn't do what she wanted to do and then how that all worked in on the you know the i guess not nuclear family of um atagina but you know their traditional family structure and stuff like that and yeah, there was a lot of pressure on her to when she was finished to settle down even from her boyfriend who just wanted to start a family with her because that was a way that women could could get out of running as if they became pregnant. But she family was not really on her mind at, at the time. And so that was kind of a, an interesting um that that was why I was kind of interested in a in a woman's point of view for how it ended up because I am not sure how I feel about her having kids at the end of this. Yeah, me neither. I was kind of hoping she would just because eventually she does settle down with her with her boyfriend because he very much tells her that he loves her, but she doesn't really repeat it back to him until the end of the book. And that's kind of this ongoing thing. But I don't know. I, I kind of liked the idea of he was her boyfriend and that was it. Don't you think he came across as a bit of a pushy jerk early on, though? Early on, yeah, but she mentions that, and then he uh, he acts differently towards her as well. So I guess it does make sense. I couldn't decide if I liked him or if he was being a bit of an emotional blackmailer early it on. It didn't really problem. get into his character too much, honestly. Not nearly as much as Brandon or Crean or uh, a lot of the other main characters. Character. Yeah. What did you feel about that, Chris? Ahalia and her uh, character arc? Ahalia, you know, I actually thought was going to be the MacGuffin. That she was going to come up with this amazing tactic uh, with, uh, with Sinesh, with called Spider, that nobody had ever thought of before on how to beat the alien. But I was proven wrong again. Like, my expectations, it was like, oh, you can do all these formations, because he has, like, these shells. And she's like, doing this formation, this, this, this. And it's like, no, you lose. Like, it doesn't matter what you do, you lose. Like, there's nothing that you can come up with that I've not thought of and not tried. And it was like, wow, this is grim. <laughs> like, there is just no way to win. Yeah, but I really liked her character arc. I mean, there's not a lot I can say that you've not already said. But yeah, I didn't mind her having a kid at the end. I think there came a point, didn't there, where she thought, I think it was Sinesh that actually said that you need, you need to enjoy your life while you can and do the things that you want to do. And I think that was one of the turning points when, especially when you got injured, where it's like, I, I don't know, I mean, I think there was a, a specific turning point in the book where she decided that she did love him and stuff, but I didn't mind. I think it was when he lost an eye and some stuff like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know what? That was something that I really, really fucking enjoyed about this book. You know, Chris, you you mentioned earlier the whole it takes seven people to bring an alien down. You know, this yeah. trade, trade of seven to one lives. And every encounter mattered with the aliens. Yep. You know, uh, Brendan gets scarred early on with uh, their first conflict, which fucking, I was not expecting that as well. You know, their first major actual conflict with the aliens, that one came out of nowhere for me. And then them actually succeeding against it, and then Brendan getting injured with the acid stuff. Well, it came out of nowhere for them too. They just wake up and there's yeah. an alien there. <laughs> but <laughs> so. I mean, at the end of the day, as, as we are reading things, you know, we do have, you have an expectation of narrative, don't you? And 
when things don't quite match your expectation. I like that. I like when books surprise me. And just in terms of the flow of the plot at that point, that that surprised me. So that was that was on the way back from their second run. So right after their first run, they return to the hold and there's this ceremony for their return, which they they do for the runners. And like I said, it kind of establishes the world and her relationships, her friend and mentor, Sinesh, as well as her boyfriend, Tolio, as well as her relationship to the leadership council of the, the hold. And then they decide, well, there's there's an execution uh, that happens as well, which I thought was a really intriguing bit. There's another runner that just didn't want to run anymore, didn't want to fulfill her obligation because she was so terrified of, of the demons. But she had seen just, her friends get Yeah, she had seen multiple friends get killed. And so she gets executed and Ahalia's senior runner says, oh, do you think they murdered her? And Ahalia was like, wait, no, she didn't fulfill her obligation. What are you talking about? I do what I'm told. And the the senior runner was like, no, this. do you really think this is right or wrong? And then Ahalia, that was the first time she really questioned, I think, the the leadership of, of the hold because of what her senior runner had been saying, like, oh, you think this is right? And they kind of go into that more when they get to Dakotera hold on their second run. So they have to make a second run because there's a couple of other runner groups that have still not reported back that they had already sent on on runs to different holds. And I can't remember the reason they gave for... It, well, it was it was politics, weren't it? They wanted to get a fruit to trade to a different hold for more of their stuff. They were trying to monopolize something or, or artificially inflate the price of, of some fruit, I think. But they had one more runner runner group that they could have sent, but they somehow it was best that Ahli and Brandon and Crean went, right? That was the senior runner that came back, and it was a case of, no, Ahalia needs to prove herself. Like, she can do it. She needs to take up this challenge to become you know, more qualified, like then we can start trusting them with more stuff. But we should also mention as well that the runners are becoming more and more rare, like you said, because they've been getting, not been reporting back, they've obviously been getting caught out because the aliens have been coming out in the daytime. Yeah. And she tries to bring that up to the count, the council and this goes to the whole like not listening to the youth thing, which is funny because the, the Margrave is like, oh, you think you're young and you've seen something that we old people are blind to. And then the book is like, that's exactly what she thought. <laughs> She's like, no, of yep. course not, Margrave. <laughs> but so they, they run to Dakotera and the, it shows kind of the contrast of the culture between Dakotera and Leneth, which, which I liked. And again, Dakotera was run by a, a female Margravine and the Margravine meets with Ahalia in terms of the trade and um, the, the Margrave of, of her hold, Leneth hold, warns Ahalia like, oh, this is a sneaky lady and you got to be careful about her. But she just kind of has genuine conversations with with Ahalia and eventually offers her like, hey, I want you to come to this hold and be, you know, my warrior, or my senior runner, because you can be a warrior here if you want to. So that was an interesting offer. And I, I, I do think it, it established that the Margravine was a much more open minded leader than the Margrave. So that was another part of Ahalia's development, I thought, where she was presented with an option of a totally different hold. It was interesting as well that it implied some movement between holds. Yeah, on the I, was, I level. was just about to say that the book goes into like, um, especially when the runners come back, people are very anxious to get letters from their family. So due to either um, romantic re reasons, they find a partner in a different hold. People will sometimes move between the holds, but at the same time, different holds have different rules and, and obligations. So. I thought moving now was stressful. Could you fucking imagine making that run just for a new... Right. Yeah, taking all your change. belongings, going... Yeah. 
three days across with some aliens chasing you. <laughs> Ridiculous. No, leave the frying pans. Just leave them. <laughs> but anyway, we were before all that. We were talking about their first fight with with an alien. This was on their way back from Dakatera. They wake up. There's an alien, and Crean is found and getting taken by the alien. And this is where Ahalia was like thinking, "Oh, we." She was you know, going to just oh, let them oh, get yeah. taken because that's what we're taught. You know, we stay silent. I think you've, you've skipped like the whole going from Dakotera to the other hole. No, yeah, no that, that's that's after. That's, sure? I'm sure that's after. Wasn't that after? Yeah. Because that's, I that's no, 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 no. You're right. You're right. They go from Dakotera to. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. What's it called? They go, they go, I don't know the name. Because this is where the, the book moss. really changes tone. Yeah. But they hear <laughs> a bunch of screaming from the hold and they realize the hold signaler of the hold is not present so they think it might have been invaded and they want to leave Crean and well mainly just Crean wants to go he's like it's too dangerous we can't do this but she's like no our people need this medicine because a lot of them are sick right now with this illness yeah. so they go into this hold and and I love this scene so much how the hold is all dark and there's like death everywhere it was so good and it echoes back to the the tension of the, of the first you know the first chapter scott is fucking brilliant at writing those kind of horror moments yeah because again i was i i was didn't know what to expect during this whole sequence and just the the visualization of, of them and and how scott describes it of them moving through the the stone corridors that stink of fucking death and they can't see Cap- what they're Kaplan doing Hall. that's what it's called Kaplan. Kaplan. I do think that Scott is on par with Tim Levin for being able to describe his environments and what his characters are actually walking through. Like, mm. they are both on par for me for that. Fantastic. You could just visualize it yep. so well. So at this point, as you said before, Aaron, they, they find the medicine, which I guess is like a, a powder from from harvested mushrooms or something like that that's processed into, into a powder. But uh, they find out they've been holding out on, on them, just like the Margrave had suspected. And they fill their backpacks to the brim with all the medicine because I guess the only people who know how to process the the mushrooms well, are. It only grows there as well. I think was was yeah. the issue that they spoke about for a lot of their trading. So like certain fruits and certain flowers or whatever were abundant in certain holds. You know, they talked. I think very early on they talked about in Lemeth they grew a specific flower that was so abundant there that it was wasted. You know, it was used as confetti to celebrate the runner's successful returns. But there were holds like all the way across the lake or whatever where it wouldn't grow at all and it was it was precious shit. You know, that I, f- I forget what that was a cure for, but there, there was some sort of illness. In bed that, flowers, in they bed were. Flowers, and it yeah. wasn't it forgetter syndrome. Yeah. Yes. Was it forgetter syndrome? So. Yeah, that's it. That was one of the illnesses they, they described. So they fill their packs to the brim, and it's clear that this is really going to weigh them down on their journey back. And the book really goes into detail about their struggles just carrying all this medicine. And since aliens kind of chase them into the hold, and the holds have these big stone doors, and they barely like closed it to, to keep the ones that were chasing them out, they had to find another way out of Keflin hold. And they do so by climbing all the way up this tower and then hiking down the mountain, or rock climbing. So that was a really tense scene as well. And then we kind of get back to where we're talking about, where they fight the first alien on their way back. And this is like, what, 250 pages into the book as well? Yeah. You know, it's it's a good chunk of the way into the book. Might even be even further, you know. But it didn't it didn't feel like, you know, it, it rushed, not rushed there. It got there and, and felt 
the right sort of pacing to get there. Yeah. But then when that happened, that's like in Aliens, you know, the whole description of it being a roller coaster ride. That was one of the peaks of the roller coaster of Phalanx. Yeah. So they're all covered in these camouflage suits. Um, they're Heidi suits, they call them, which have these leaves all over them. Caminous. Caminous leaves, that's Caminous right, leaves. which they also drink as, as tea. And the while they're fighting the alien, it bleeds on them, and they notice the blood when it lands on the leaves. It kind of solidifies and doesn't burn quite as quite as deeply. Well, you actually and, think initially that Crean is messed up yeah. for the amount yeah. of screaming he's doing. It's like, oh, yeah. God, Crean's So she's, she's about to let him get taken when Brandon, which is also kind of interesting because Crean had been giving Brandon a lot of shit. Like he he teases him quite a bit during the book. and uh, But they're still, you can tell they're friends just for having, just for going through what they've gone through together. But then that's also part of Brandon's arc. You know, he's the fucking hero. He's the one that's going to yeah. make that play to save that person. Well, he wants mm-hmm. to be a hero. And so she, she was not going to let them both die. So she joins in the fight and eventually she is the one to kill the alien. Christ smashes its head, head. With rock, which I was like, there's always these moments when you're an alien fan and you're like, really, they defeated it that way. But it made sense in the terms of they had netted it at that point. It wasn't exactly a small rock from what I remember either. Yeah. You know, and, and people are injured at that point. You know, like I said earlier, Brendan's fucked up with his acid, although he wasn't as bad as like some of the other characters. You know, towards the end of the book, Ahali is fucked up by the end of the book, isn't she? Yeah. I did like how she took the secondary Jaws as a a trophy. It reminded me of Alien Resurrection a bit. It's well, it, it was a cultural thing as well, weren't it? You know that that yeah. was that was a badge. If of you honor. had a tooth tongue, yeah, you were a demon killer. Yeah, and uh, she wanted to give it to Brandon because, and this was an interesting conversation too. She was like, "Well, I would not have fought it if not for you, and I couldn't have killed it if not for you. So you should have this." And he's like, "Nope, this was your kill. You can you can have this." So at this point, it skips ahead to them well, returning what, what? to the. Before we go on then, what what did you guys actually think of that fight? You know, that that was the first moment where we saw in this book that these people were going to be capable of killing aliens and aliens were going to go down by means that weren't, you know, 40 millimeter grenades or, or you know. Yeah. Well, they even mentioned in the book that this was the first time they had killed one with no casualties on the yeah. human side. And it was quite uh, lucky as well. I think didn't Brandon yeah. spear it in, like the leg which knocked it over, which allowed the net to go on. It was like the perfect Sinesh said that too. He was like, scenario. you were very lucky Yeah, when she eventually gets back to the hold. But were you at that point like, yeah, I'm buying this. This this is working. For the most part, I was still like, she smashed the alien with a rock. Come on. but You can <laughs> get lucky once. Yeah, you can get lucky once. But later in the book, when they're kind of killing aliens left and right because of the MacGuffin that we'll get into, that's when I was like, Ugh. Even when they're killing it, it's still a point of, look, this isn't a magic bullet per se. You know, they are still struggling against you until until the poison works. You know, people are still yeah. being injured and yeah, this is being killed. What I liked about it. It's, it, yeah. was, it wasn't fucking, you know, sniper shots. Boom, 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 boom. Headshots yeah. down or anything like that. It wasn't like a when magic bullet. When you consider orb. as well, how many people have stood at the end oh, you realize just how lucky like how fine yeah. a wire even with the mcguffin they came to losing thousands but we'll get to that thousands yeah and they still technically lost if you know what i mean because they still technically ended up being hived true yeah. true, 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 true. if not for uh, another yeah. character that that comes into play they would have been totally screwed yep yeah 
Anyway, since you seem to be liking doing this as a narrative point, keep going. <laughs> All right. So so they get back to their hold, and instead of being celebrated this time, people are just kind of in awe because she's wearing the, the tooth tongue as as a necklace. And Brandon's mother is, is pretty sick, so he goes to see her immediately, but the council wants to see Ahli and Crean right away. And at this point... She pretty much describes that that hold had fallen. And I think the council tells them of refugees that had gone to Dakotera at this point and that Dakotera wouldn't be able to take all the refugees and some might be coming to Leneth. Yeah, because they had signal towers, didn't they? And they could talk yeah. to each other with Morse code. Again, Flash reminded me of, of Lord of the Rings with the whole, like the signals on the mountains and stuff. But I don't know. What else did they did they talk about during the scene with the council? A few other things came up, I know. The whole refugee thing was, was quite topical was anyway, primer. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And there, I, there was a lot of politics in between in between like the action sequences. It was so heavy in terms in terms of politics. Which to me I actually thought was quite refreshing because normally we don't get things like that. Oh, this is where they first bring up to the council the, the cannabis leaves as well. And Crean they set him up with a lab in one of the lower chambers of the hold. As a potential weapon against the aliens, you know, this was the first yeah. time that anything had really happened, you know, a, a significant in discovery that could have helped them against the aliens, which is yeah. interesting. I mean, that, I suppose that's the next big thing to really come up. And, and we'll, let's, let's talk about the MacGuffin. Let's talk about these Caminus leaves now then. So, yeah, there, there's a leaf, which ironically enough, the runners have been using to hide from the aliens for a long time. And even Nahalia kind of makes the point, like, how could we have just now realized this? We've been using these leaves for so long. But the leaves neutralize the acid. And later we find out that they're actually poisonous to the alien. And so Crean in his lab kind of develops um, a, initially it's a paste and then he kind of, they call it a goop. So it's a... Uh, Bush jizz. Yeah, right. <laughs> One of his names for it that the, the Margrave isn't too keen on. So he has to make a brew, essentially, that they dip their weapons in, and it clots the alien blood. And so it, it takes, this is what kind of moving ahead of it. What about Crean's mental trauma, though, that he's received? Because the alien was on top of it. Yeah, yeah. there was an interesting moment where she literally just touches his shoulder to comfort him, and he freaks out. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, like, I, if I'm not expecting someone to touch me, it... You know, and she gets it. So that was another one of those moments that we've talked about, Aaron, where it's like the PTSD effects uh -huh. of encounters with these uh, creatures that love it when they do yep. that. I uh, is is one of the things that I genuinely love in in the novels and the comics is is when there is a lasting impact. You know, I'm so used to and standalone release. Well. Yeah, she does. Yep, and even Brandon Brandon carries trauma. They are all f affected by their experiences out on the surface and, and by the aliens, you know. The aliens' presence has shaped their entire culture, which which is fascinating it's in its own right as well, you know. It shaped their religion to an extent. It shaped the way they, they did things, the, the lives they lived, you know, this whole mentality of everybody needs to be useful. Everybody has to be doing something that contributes to the longevity of, of, of their homes. It was really interesting, really interesting. I, I And very thought-provoking. I think a lot of the book was very thought-provoking because I was often thinking of trying to put myself in their shoes. You know, how would I have reacted in, in some of their situations? How would I feel about this, you know, this existence? It's scary. Scary one, certainly a scary one. It's so like 
very different conversation, but I think for the Alien RPG, it would be interesting to have you guys play as runners on that type of... That would make for a great scenario, yeah. And yeah, I just love how even the, the castles they live in are built to keep noise from going out. And there's a number of mm-hmm. times where people are celebrating and you can hear or you can see Ahlia's internal dialogue that's like, oh, we're being too loud. So to always be worried about making too much noise, like they have the mantra, silence is strength, yeah. that they might get taken if they get heard. It was kind of interesting. I still haven't seen that movie, uh, A Quiet Place, <laughs> but it made me think of that a little bit. I really enjoyed that film. I really enjoyed A Quiet Place. Yeah. So the goob, though, what did we feel about that? Well, real quick, there was also... Uh, Around this time, another runner that returned who had lost two of our other runners. So the senior runner that was another one of Leah. They they call her Leah a lot, short for Ahlia in the book as well. So the runner comes back badly injured and eventually dies in, in the night. But her senior runner was was killed. Oh, wait, no, the senior runner is the one that came back, right? Yeah. 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 And then she's barely alive. But she has the news um, that Dakotera fell. Right. And so that's when they expect a bunch of refugees to be showing up. And Lee is kind of insistent that the council needs to act, but the council still, they very much are only interested in the, the cannabis leaves as a defensive weapon. And Ahalia also knows this, like, oh, they only want to survive and stay alive. They don't want to actually fight this threat and eliminate this threat. Yeah. And the council as well start poisoning the people of Lemoth Hold, saying, oh, they only want to come here because they want our hold and things like that. And they turn in the populace against the refugees before yep. they even show up. And there's a there's another scene that also very topical for today, I thought, where during this time when she's kind of back in the hold and having a, a few various interactions, she goes down to the foundry and talks with one of her friends. And one of her friends is like, oh, those they all deserve this. You know, those heretics, you know, they're terrible. And she was like, oh, I never knew like my friend could hold these views about these other people. And it goes back to the, what yeah. the piece was like, oh, they're not. They're, and it just makes you like, I'm not going to get into it too much. But some of the stuff you see today, it's like, wow, I didn't know you could believe this sort of thing, you know. So it, it very much kind of touched on that topic, I thought. I really do think Scott was very intelligent in his writing yep. in terms of, of how it, it paralleled so much that that goes on over the last 10 years or so, you know, the whole refugee situation and stuff like that. Anyway, the goop. I want right. to know what people thought of the so, goop. So he's down in in the um, the foundry in his, in his lab, and I really liked the scenes down here where she goes in and her relationship with Crean kind of develops and she gains this, this respect for his intellect. And she actually has to kind of argue with the council that he's, no, he needs to be here working on this rather than running. And there's another scene that I really liked where they're all kind of drinking together, which, which comes up shortly. But she also has a bit of a falling out with Brandon at this point. They have some tension because he becomes a warrior, which is what she wanted. And it's before he's even finished his obligation as well. Yeah. You know, he gets to skip. Yeah. And he's been roughing up refugees, which didn't help. Yeah. So, yeah, that was another scene that happens. The refugees do eventually show up and Brandon and Ahalia are kind of helping them in. But the leadership is very much like, no, these people are going in this room, everyone else out. 
also it was interesting to see there's a doctor of the hold who was very much like, no, I just need to help these people. But of course, the leadership was was like, no, we need to secure these people. And very much the tension again, very topical, I think, in terms of how someone from a medical background who mainly is concerned with helping people goes up against someone with a political background who is trying to make leadership decisions. So that was interesting. And this this is when, again, moving forward, she has kind of fights with with Brandon. But Brandon was actually in the process of trying to tell her what did he. He was trying to get information about how Dakatera fell. Yeah. He was doing what she asked, basically. Yeah. It just took him some time to do it. About how the aliens infiltrated it, right? Yeah. That's it. How they broke him. Yeah. So, and I don't remember how. Voodooverts. Oh, that's right. That's right. Aliens. so yeah, we there is DNA reflex in the book, um, and I do just like Echo. I do like it when it goes into the the planet's native fauna, and I guess flora as well in this case. And there are these like tunneling creatures called Vudiverts, and and they eventually we do see Vudivert aliens show up, and they are smaller, and they actually use the Vudiverts digging ability with their shovel like claws. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know, I always used to start articles about how the the DNA reflex isn't very isn't a very often used aspect to the aliens, and now all the books now are doing it. Yeah, they're doing it all, more and more. All of them are doing it now, and it, it's and great. it also it describes some aliens as having dome heads and some as having smooth heads, right? Or sorry, sorry, dome heads and then ridged yeah. heads. Yeah, it does. It it points that out, and it even brings up the Praetorians as well. At, uh, towards it the does. Very end. Yeah, Praetorians show up near the end. Although though they don't really, it's not like they knew to call it anything like that. They were just bigger gods of the queen. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Crean is doing these experiments, and he's a very habitual tea drinker, which I also <laughs> thought was fun. You gotta have your character quirks. Yeah, but eventually Brandon shows up to meet them, and he—you could tell—he's really distraught. And kind of when this happened, I knew I knew what he was going to be distraught about. So since he took his new warrior role, they've been really roughing up the the refugees and more refugees showed up, which the um, castle essentially was instructed to to turn them away. And they were like, well, we have nowhere to go. We're not going to make the journey to this other hold because the aliens are right on our tail. And so the warriors just use force, essentially. And it doesn't go into that too much exactly what happened, but I'm sure they they had to kill some probably to to drive them away. And you could tell Brandon is really shocked about what happened. And this is where they all just kind of drink and come together as a group. And they're like, we have to kind of take charge here and what we're going to do. Because this um, plays into his as well, wanting to be a hero, not a, not a murderer of innocent right. people. And so he, I guess he heard the rumor that it's somehow gone around. It doesn't really explain how, but that Crean and Ahalia wanted an alien to experiment on. And the leadership was like, no, we can't send anyone out to do that. You know, we need our runners. Again, they were more concerned with surviving. So they eventually sneak out of out of the hold to hunt an alien and and test the the poisoned weaponry on it. And they go out as a group together. And again, this is a, a really cool part of the book where it really shows the camaraderie that's developed between these three, I think. But what about the Creed concept? Because not want to grow up. <laughs> of uh, the, the, the leaves? Itself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of some natural thing being able to poison them. Because that's not exactly new. I was torn about it because, again, you you have to think the alien's physi- physiology is just so tough. And to just have this random plant or leaf that would be completely lethal to them in more ways than one that come up eventually as well. 
I mean, I could buy it. It's an alien planet with... with Do you, know, you have the same reservations about the Black Mold in Labyrinth? It's been so long since I've read Labyrinth. You fucking sacrilegious motherfucker. <laughs> I know. Labyrinth it's is been one a of long the time. best alien comics. That's the one where the, with the doctor in the hive, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's been so long since I've so, read Labyrinth. <sighs> fucking useful people for conversation there, <laughs> no so i i was not expecting the black goo and um, the not black goo that's a different thing um the caminous leaves i i did I not see that poison coming along at all but then when it happened i was like this this doesn't feel alien <laughs> to me in terms of it didn't feel out of place you know labyrinth is is a notable comic that also does something similar you know it's a local mold in that that i suppose it does what the cameras leaves do eventually you know it retards the aliens growth their ability to gestate and stuff like that it, it, it no i wasn't i wasn't against like i wasn't against the concept but yeah that see that that was what i was interested in because it's it just the extent that they use it and the extent that it saves them especially in the third act i was kind of like oh man come on become but... a bit too magical button a bit, yeah. I wasn't against the concept. I mean, the aliens are, they have weaknesses, and as long as those weaknesses feel like they could work in, in the world, I'm okay with it. And it was their only chance of survival against the aliens was this. And it kind of it kind of feels yeah. like a natural thing anyway. I mean, if it's an acid, surely there's an alkaline type thing that is going to neutralize the stuff anyway. Yeah. This was the big red button, though, that I was looking for, if you know what I mean. The, the magical, like you said, the silver bullet. This this was it. But like you said, it wasn't too out of place because the explanation was decent enough because nobody had survived coming into contact with them. Like, the, all that experience was gone. So it, to me, it's pretty good. Like, I didn't mind it, like, all right, it gets a bit silly later on where we're just like mowing them down, but it wasn't that bad. Even even when it's, it's the mowing them down kind of thing, you know, it's like I said earlier, you know, the, the aliens are still capable of fighting during this. It isn't instantaneous death for them, no. yeah. which I think was, was the nice balance. And again, you know, even though it neutralized the acid and became sort of a shield, I suppose, there was only so much that they could take. And there was only so much coverage that could happen. And they did have to brew a concentrated form of it. And they, they make the point later in the book that some of the other holds that had been making this were not quite as perfective, uh, perfected in their recipe. And so the aliens were taking longer to be brought down by the poison. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed that. It, you know, it wasn't something I ever expected to see show up in this. Although I kind of feel like perhaps a lot of things <laughs> take me by surprise at the minute. Maybe I'm not as sharp these days. A lot of things took me by surprise in this book, to be fair. But yeah, that that was one of the things that I really liked in this, to see something that echoed back to Labyrinth. Because, you know, like I said, that was one of my favourite comics. So I really appreciated that. Although, let, let's skip to the end. Let's talk about it. Wait, wait. They, we have to... Are going to skip the massive battle? <laughs> no, I mean, skip to the end as in terms of while we're on the topic of the leaves. Well, first of all, they sneak out and then they they manage to find an alien. I think they just yell and one shows up pretty much. Well, they, they cause a ruckus. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so they they discover it can kill an alien, and then they make they make their way back to Lemeth to report their findings. And After Crean urinates on it. Right. <laughs> he has to, to do that. Um, would, you smell of, you smell of uh, urine. Yeah, I should have thought about that before I pissed on it. <laughs> I enjoyed that. 
<laughs> but this is essentially where their hold gets infiltrated is is on their way yep. back. And she finds out that the way it was infiltrated were these um, Voodoovert aliens that were tunneling in for the other aliens. Ah, uh, well, before that is where the Dakotarans are coming up the mountain and to see them. And this is where Ahalia takes command oh, of right. the Dakotarans soldiers. And the Margravine is there and Ahalia is like, don't worry, we'll get you to our hold. And she's like, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. Your Margrave told us to stay away, but this is the only place we can go. So she she leads them back with, with the aliens essentially picking people off of this large group of refugees. And they do fight the aliens a bit at this point. Uh-huh. As well, yep. don't they? There's a couple skirmishes, but once they make it back to the hold, it's mostly the traps, though. I think at this point, no, yeah. we were the I mean, archers I and things. I know, like I know the they take some out with the archers, but I don't think it's many that get stuck in in that. I think that was like the dead man traps and stuff like that that were oh, doing yeah, they, the most they were damage into, into play. And this is when we find out what a bastard the the Margrave really is, because I guess he and the Margrave know each other, but. He's just like, oh, you need to leave immediately. Just not empathetic at all. Uh, and this is when Leah really kind of snaps back at the Margrave. And and he's like, oh, you're lucky you've become so distinguished. Otherwise, you would be punished for your insolence or whatever. Well, Once, he, she was uh, instructed to be taken to the, the same yeah. jail. Yeah, it, it all goes to shit at this point, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Politically, and then speaking. on their way to the the cell, the aliens pretty much come in, and the Margrave tells Leah, "Like, oh, I I need you to get me out of here because I'm important." Yeah, I'm and important. She, at this point, she's like, "Fuck you!" And then I think she just punches him, and his bodyguard is there, who's also her phalanx trainer, and the Margrave essentially is like, oh, kill the bitch. And he's hesitant, like, no, we we need her to get out of here. And the Margrave's, no, kill her. But thankfully, again, the alien shows up and takes the, the Margrave away at this point. But the Margravine is, is, stabs him in the knee to kind of incapacitate him, which which I did like that bit. And I think eventually it was, it was kind of weird, and this goes to like the shifting power dynamics. The bodyguard essentially just sees that the Margrave is kind of kind of losing it there, and the Margravine is naturally moving into the, the leadership yeah, role that she held. Yeah, so he pretty much instantly shifts his loyalty to to her, and then they manage to escape. Well, they don't manage to escape. They actually, uh, this is the point where they make their stand against the aliens and drive yeah, the aliens out the of the hold. Yeah. So that was interesting because that's the point when you actually see the tactics start to work. I mean, you know, you expect that when you're in close quarters, the aliens are the one that's that's with the upper, you know, the advantage. So I thought that was really interesting in how they turned it. It was a roaming shield formation pushing them through. It was the phalanx working. Yep. Because that that was the problem that Sinesh and, and Leah had had during like all the, the tactical, the chess games and stuff like that. It's like, oh, I'll make some phalanxes. Couldn't flank it. Because you had the shields and the spears at the back and the shields and the spears at the front. So the only way for the alien to get to the people was through the spears. And through and the look. And, yeah, and try and get through the shields. You know, they were being the, the clot that was the Caminus leaves in there in the aliens' system. I liked that, how that was like the same kind of... The analogy, The, yeah. the play, yeah. Yeah, I liked that. So did... Were you, were you still buying the tactics at this point? Were you still... Did the medieval-style combat still keep you in it? You weren't pulled out or anything? Yeah, man, because I dig, like, Greek and Roman military tactics and things like that. This was right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> this is <was> awesome. <laughs> 
But the important thing is that it was believable within it the was. context. Yeah. Not at one point throughout the book, I think, did I think this medieval set, what, 300 Greek, whatever, um, the ancient timesy setup not work. I mean, I think that that was the big test of it, you know, was when they actually started to succeed on a bigger scale yeah. against and them. Once they well, drive... Without the Google, it would have failed. Because, yes. like yeah. Sonex always said, eventually your shields melt, your spears melt, and then it's just people. Mm-hmm. And, there's, yeah. like, and leaves don't stop. Claws, teeth... And tails. There was but a lot going grim. on. Yeah, there was a yeah. lot going on. But eventually the aliens do retreat. And this is where Ahalia is essentially, there's this kind of power play in who's going to take the leadership role. And the Margavine is like, well, I'm best suited to do this. I'll take it temporarily. And then as a compromise, someone suggests that the preacher as well as somebody else gets appointed to the council uh, to kind of watch over this. And this is where Ahalia also becomes a, a general as well. And that has some implications in her, her character as well that I thought it kind of turned her, I don't know, into a little bit less likable of a character for a little bit. And then she, she like, got bloodlust. Like, she gets better. She had some power play moments, I think. But she settles into it, though. Yeah, it was an interesting contrast in the beginning how she's seeing her friend get executed for refusing to run. And then she's threatening someone's execution who had just lost their their son. Uh, well, this was a bit later, but that was a bit. I, a I, that was a point where I was like, uh, she just wasn't coming. I mean, she's already lucky that she's able to march these people to take on like this serious threat. And when she's starting to threaten, like, if you don't fight, I'm going to kill you. I'm like, uh, this is not who you were earlier in the book, and I don't know if to, I like to it. To be but. fair, though, that was in the middle of the fucking fighting. You know, when yeah. they, when yeah, the, people trying to when run away. one guy trying to run away will cause the, the phalanx to fail. Because him running away cost him to lose his son. Yeah, exactly. And she's like, and she says that next to him time later don't on, doesn't she? Yeah, and leaves yeah. him fucking crying. It, it was it was his fault at the end of the day. But then later in the book, when when a phalanx is essentially defeated, it does mention that oh, a number of them fled, and it was forgiven because of how hell that day was. So she does kind of come back around on that, which I do appreciated. But that was a moment that I thought was a little harsh for her character personally. But I, again, I it's understandable. It but, you know, so at this point, the hold has pretty much been damaged. It can't keep aliens out anymore. So they're just after they do this, this political power play thing, it's Ahalia wants to take the fight to the the smoke mountain where they fight the demon mother, which was an in- interesting like, of course, we know, oh, it's the queen alien. But to have this be presented in a mythological sense was pretty cool. But eventually, so they do send word to the other holds to send Still their troops. Like three, three left, I think, four left. The aliens had taken out a good few, but there were still a couple left that mm-hmm. they, they, they requested backup from. Yeah. So they were about to essentially make the decision to retreat to another hold. But at this point, one of the other holds was already sending warriors to meet them. Yeah, Takata. Yeah, at the the plains, the boiling plains. So Ahalia was pretty much successful in saying, hey, they're already going to meet us at battle. We have to go. Uh And at this point, they kind of amass their forces. And this is the the big battle that they're going to have. And they lose. And that was a mistake, really, because I think they should have got together and all gone en masse. It was another one of those moments of people you know it was, a, it was a politics moment wasn't it you know it, it was the, the general from this other other hold being like look i've got a fucking good reputation and and they you know the margravine 
I liked that the Margravine went with them, went with Leo for that. Yeah. It made yeah. them a lot more likable, in my opinion. You know, they, they were aware of the reputation, and this other woman, this other general shows up, and she's just like, fuck you, Leo, we'll do it how we want. Yeah, you're a girl. You're just a 19-year-old girl. Who are you? <laughs> Again, it, it was it was just showing that we are our true greatest enemy, really. If if yep. they'd have listened to Leah, then they might not have lost. And they did. They lost thousands, thousands of people. Well, like I said, had Aaliyah listened to Tanette saying, like, we should go back to the other hold, we should regroup, bring everyone together, and brief everyone with the tactics that we need to use, and then go, I don't think that fight would have been a loss. But it was rush, rush, rush. I've got this yep. power now. Let's go. Yeah, and that was her feelings as a character, I think, as yeah. she was very much... Well, she was a runner. She kept going. She was, she was determined to just kill to this... To kill the demon mother, rather than really thinking out the situation. She was just like, we have no time. We need to fight now. And it almost seemed like her general position had kind of gone to her head a little bit. Yeah, she was single-track-minded um, at that point. Yeah, It probably had. Yep. Yeah. So, And that, that was one thing that I, I guess I, I liked, regardless of my misgivings of some of her actions, is... Nobody was perfect in this book. Uh-huh. Nope. She was not a flawless character. She had issues of self-doubt and even things she mentions that she might have done differently in her internal dialogue. So I, I did really appreciate that. So this this was a cool bit after this big battle where they essentially get captured and, and hived. And on their way to being implanted, Crean essentially... Oh, no, no, only- wait. Because after this big fight, it is literally Crean, Brandon, and Ahalia that are left. Yeah. Everyone else is dead. Run away. Well, or being hired as well. There's a few aliens. There's a few get captured as well. Yeah, but it, it is literally just them. And even Brandon says, all we needed was a few more people. That yeah. is how close we almost had it, it yeah. came. And they were waiting for more people to, to show up at this point. There was another yeah, hold that was sending troops that had not quite showed up in time. Uh, so they get hived and Crean, because it's the only thing he can think of, he says, just eat the leaves. And so they all eat the leaves and they all get face hugged. And what this the only bit I was, I was telling sure Aaron that I was like, the leaves are a bit too much of a MacGuffin at this point. Yeah. So they all get implanted and they essentially vomit up not fully developed alien embryos. Which, uh, a video game I played recently, what is kind of funny, was Resident Evil uh, 3 Remake, and they added this new enemy, or I guess a reimagined enemy that kind of like a facehugger implants these insectoid larvae in you. And the only way you can cure yourself is you eat an herb, and then you vomit out the, the larva, and it kind of made me oh, think of that. Yeah. But maybe it has some basis in reality. I don't know. Yeah, but that was a point where it was like, of course, the leaf's going to save him. But I was, <laughs> I was, I was wondering if it was just going to eliminate the implantation process entirely. So I guess it was a little better that they they still had to cough up a not fully developed embryo, which it still adds kind of a gross factor, I guess. But yeah, just don't understand how it could affect it. Why? It's not. It's not their blood that's inside their bodies. Like, if anything, well, there's still the an, an umbilical cycle. between the the host and the alien. Yeah, but so. if anything, the aliens would have taken that Caminus leaves property and it would have changed it somehow. It would. I don't think it would have killed them. I mean, we've had an, an alien contracting a deadly virus and adapting it to use this virus. Sure, it could have taken the properties of the leaves and had I don't know some kind of properties from the leaves, like been immune to it. Or this bit annoyed me. 
I, I was not. I think they all should have died. They should have died. It was the that would have been a dark ending with the goop that I was a little mm, on. But then again, it's like I mentioned earlier with labyrinth. You know that black mold affected the aliens in that, and it wasn't something that I was like with at all. That was more of a ooh kind of moment. Would it have been more believable if they had drank the actual goop rather than the le- rather than just shoved a bunch of leaves in their mouth? Maybe. I mean, because it's not like we don't ingest medicine, is it? In the real sure world. Sure enough. I, I don't know. I, I've got issues. <laughs> yeah, got that issues was that was book. the point of the book where I could still kind of go with it for the sake of the story, but I was like, man, they're lucky they have these leaves, man. <laughs> like, yeah. It was- it was getting a bit much at that point. But this is when they escape being hived. This is where we kind of get our our big twist, I guess, of the story, which I suspected coming the whole time. I was like, OK, we're in the alien universe. This is a feudal society. This is obviously not ancient Earth because they do mention the three sisters in the sky, which you take as like, oh, those are moons they're talking about. So we knew this was another planet. And I was like, this is going to be one of two things. This is either going to be another world that the engineers seeded, which I hope not, or this is going to be something where a ship crashed and this is many hundreds of years in the future. And yes, it was the latter. So within the hive, and I guess the ship... Hang on, before we move on from that, Chris, did you expect that as well? Did you have any expectation as to the settings being sorted? Nope. I I just, up to this point, I thought we were on a nice little self-contained story. And then... (laughs) When I started like twinging onto it, is where they run about metal on metal on the floor. I'm like, wait a minute, that's a deck plate. And then he goes, this room's hexagonal. I'm like, hmm, this is a ship. It's a spaceship. And I was so happy. I was so happy that they managed to tie it in. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of thinking, well, I, I suspected it, Chris, but I, I was also, it had not really shown up until this point. Yeah. So I was just kind of thinking, well, is he just going to do this thing where this is just a fantasy world and this is a self-contained story that's it's unexplained? Which is what I was thinking. It's actually, it's a plot point in, it's like its own little subgenre of sci-fi, I believe, is this idea of forgetting your past. You know, I've, yeah. I can't say I've, my only real experience with this is, is a series called The Broken Empire, which I hate fantasy. I'm not into Lord of the Rings. I'm not into shield and sword kind of stuff. I like Game of Thrones because I, I, th- I found like Tyrion fascinating. I enjoyed the, as much as I hate politics. I found the politics of Game of Thrones interesting. That was what kept me in that. I read the first Broken Empire book on a whim because the librarian at work just gave me a copy for free. And one day I was like, ah, fuck it, I'm going to read this. And it was fucking fascinating. That 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 was essentially medieval set in a post-apocalyptic future where they then discover that you know the fucking talking elevators and stuff like that and i really i really enjoyed the surprise in that and then i found out you know it's a bit of a thing i read of synopsises of like generational ships where people forget that they're on a ship in space they don't know they're on a ship so yeah that was that was a really interesting take on this and, and it didn't feel out of place but you said you didn't want it to be an engineer planet would that have ruined it for you I don't know if it would ruin it for me. It would just be like, uh, it's tied to the prequels and I prefer it when things are not <laughs> tied to the prequels. <laughs> so. that, that is something I would be really interested in, is a book where the it is the outcome of another civilization that the engineers have seeded. You know, before I knew what this was actually was, that, that was one of the things that I sort of like considered on the boards and stuff. So I would have been re- really interested in, and I would still really be interested in seeing something like that. Or maybe even a book from the engineer's point of view. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
would be nice to have some explanation of why they want to kill us. Well, you've met us. Wouldn't you want to kill us? Well, they're not so great either. I mean, <laughs> they allow spaceships to show up and well, I won't. I won't. Yeah. Let... That, but <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're nearly, and bomb we're nearly the gone. hell out of them while they wave. But but they weren't really engineers, were they? They had different prosthetics. Oh, is that what we're going with? No, I so, don't know. That, that, that's so the space jockeys thing. created the engineers who created the the makeup face engineers. <laughs> anyway, let's not dive into let's not dive into this. We're nearly finished the book. Keep going. But yes, I am glad it was the latter. And it, it did kind of remind me of some other stories of like um the Time Machine remake. Like that that was far, far in the future. But a number of stories where you have societies that that are in a feudal post-apocalyptic setting, like even something like Reign of Fire, even though they were still more aware of their past in, in that one, or um, a video game like Horizon Zero Dawn, right? They live in a tribal society that has advanced technology as part of like the ruins that they find. So it, it was an interesting story. And at this point, they really start to see their history they're they're kind of creeping through the hive and i think they find the queen and they see the praetorians and they're trying to devise a strategy to defeat her and they're like well we're just three people we can't really do this and at this point aliens are starting to kind of find where they are and they're well, seeing other poison for one yeah they're starting to see other people brought into the hive as as well and another character shows up and kind of opens a, a hidden door for them and like hey this way we need a shelter and so they go into this room with him and it becomes pretty clear that this is a synthetic essentially yeah and this is a part of the book i really liked was his pretty much exposition dump on how this planet how this situation came to be and there was some sort of a mutiny on a ship where all the colonists who were in hypersleep older than age 11 was it were killed yeah pretty much something like that yeah so the majority of the survivors after the ship crashed were children and the android kind of just sent them on their way and told them because i guess there were aliens on the ship hey you need to avoid these things a little description and watch out for these pale spidery things which is where everything starts coming into like that's why yeah so this is 350 something years i think after the ship had crashed so the the android notices ahalia's last name and like, oh, you must be a descendant of this one crew member. And the one who's really intrigued by all this is, of course, Crean, who's established as the most intellectual one that we know of in this society. And he's like, oh, a ship, but there's no shores nearby. And he's like, oh, no, this is an interstellar ship. And so it's it's interesting seeing this highly advanced futuristic technology trying to be explained to these uh, feudalists. So this was a part of the book I, I really liked was the android. And the android essentially is like, well, I'm at your service because you're the descendants of the people that I served on the ship. Before we move on, though, thoughts on the dump? Because I could have done without this I liked it. in the book. I liked it. I liked it. It tied it to the alien universe more concretely, yep. I thought. It makes you wonder, though, if there would ever be room for a sequel in, in this kind of world. What would this be like? Like, this is 350 years from when? Is this probably 100 years after Alien Resurrection? Or is it 350 years from that? Are there still oh. human ships around? Or have we been totally wiped out as a species? What would happen if, like, a spaceship came there and found this society? What about a prequel, though? Would you be yeah, interested a in a prequel? Maybe I'd be more interested in a sequel because the book kind of ties it, it 
You think Zachariah's story it sets, is enough? It sets that up with the Northerners coming at the end of the book. Um, so, but I don't that, think that's no longer going to be an alien book, is it? That's just going to be... Well, again, it could be if another ship shows up. Or if there's aliens that it somehow established another hive. That's one thing that they talk about. They talk about a second queen, and that never shows up again. They talk about there was oh, yeah, uh, a boring yeah. uh, faction of, of xenomorphs. And as far as we know, there's only one queen, but it mentions a second one and we don't know what happened to it. So it could have set up a hive somewhere else. But anyway, at this point there, they can kind of see the, the queen's chamber and they're trying to devise a plan and they see a geyser that's in this chamber essentially. So I guess the ship had just crashed into the mountain and some of the geothermal activity is, is coming into the ship. And it was interesting how they described this. They were saying the queen enjoyed the splash of the geyser because the warm mist or something like that. But if the geyser were to directly hit the queen, it could essentially cook her. Well, I, th- I thought they made a point of it wouldn't be enough to cook her. Well, they didn't know. I wasn't sure which one they were going for there. Yeah. I didn't think it was but, clear. But the plan was uh, they send the android out because he was missing his legs. And it was an interesting story. He was like, oh, I got too close to her royal guards and they didn't appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Got> slopped down. <laughs> yeah, so he crawls to the geyser and he has this steel plate that he uses to deflect the geyser blast right onto the queen and, and onto one of the Praetorians. And it kills one of the Praetorians and I think the other one kills the android, which is a shame because I, I was starting to just get into his character and it would have been interesting to have him as like he would become this oracle for their society or whatever. I don't know, like telling them stories of, of where they they were really from so to eliminate him as a character it was like ah oh, he could he had more potential but well that was one of the things that happened in alchemy the comic that i mentioned earlier they essentially it's the, it's the same setup you know a ship crashes their descendants of, of the people and they learn about their world from from this damaged android and i'm glad it didn't repeat that i guess but it, it's also it's also done to allow them to continue to develop on their own you know, it mentions in the epilogue that Crean's the one that's deciphering things from the ship. So they're still working to develop themselves. It's not necessarily being handed to them or anything like that, which I think was was probably the, the artistic choice in that in that decision. And, and I agree with it. I agree with it. Even, even though, you know, Zachariah was interesting enough in his own right. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, always, there's always an interest in the Amnesia characters. Because he didn't have full access to his memory, and and I still I would still like to see that explored at some point in an alien thing. Yeah, he mentions he mentions he was um, involved in the mutiny. Involved somehow. in the mutiny, which I guess if you were to do a prequel book, that would be what I would want to see. Would be the downfall of that ship. Maybe that'd yeah. be like the first half of the book. Well, really, that's the only prequel story to tell. With that, I think it is. Well, yeah. I I think. Because the aliens had only been showing up for the last like 50 or 60 years. So you could have the first half of the book be telling of the colony ship mutiny. The second half be telling of the first encounters with the demons with this feudal society. I would assume that the aliens come into play on the ship as well. Right. Yeah, they do because the yeah. aliens are on the ship. But somewhere. I still think I still think it'd be and I guess you could even do a trilogy if, if there would be enough story to tell with that. You could do the ship mutiny, the first encounters with the aliens like 60 years before this story. And then you have this story. Yeah. 
because you've got the king king there's a king that's mentioned quite a few times it's yeah, like that king period paul, i think or and something. king paul and then you've got the rising where the aliens find the Show humans up, yeah yeah so, so the, the the humans have a good 300 years of development of their own right anyway before the aliens even come into play yep. is 300 years enough time that was a question i was wondering yeah, I mean, I don't know. They were told it to flee it, to the mountains, weren't they? Yeah, but to develop their own tools completely from scratch. Like, I don't Didn't know. Didn't seem to do a march that far back. To How much memory mountains, did they have as kids? Did any of them remember the ship even initially? Like, if if they had the knowledge of how to build basic tools and how things worked even as kids, that could have been passed down if, if without the memories of where they came from. I don't know. That's... It works for the story, if you don't think about it too much, I guess. I suppose you can suspend your disbelief for that enough. Yeah. I mean, it was more just a question. I mean, maybe if I had actual knowledge of, of the time frame, it'd be an annoyance. But as somebody who was just like, hmm, I wonder if that's actually long enough. It didn't really impact yeah, on me. Yeah, I had, I had I the same thought, it. but it didn't impact me either. Anyway, keep going. We're nearly there. So they don't fully kill the queen, and this is where the queen detaches from her ovipositor. Ovipositor? I can never pronounce that right. Yeah, because Brandon stabs her with his spear before he's crushed. That's how it's described. So he has his hero moment where he essentially runs along her back and stabs her. And she pretty much, you know, crumples him up and throws him against the wall and kills him. Squished him. Fucking squished him. Yeah. Because he describes how he could hear his skull just go, Yeah. I I liked that because... (laughs) I, I I wasn't. I think at that point I was kind of expecting everybody to make it out alive, even yeah, though I, didn't, I was didn't want them to. So when it actually happened, I was like, "Yes, kill him!" But she, Shock who me. Ahalia delivers the final blow on the queen, right? Stabs her. No, no, no it was it's, Brandon. It's, it's, it's all it the poison. Dies. Yes, oh, it's yeah, just it the dies. poison. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and and then green pisses on her again. Yeah. <laughs> and this is this second. is when the other warriors show up. And it makes me wonder, like, what would happen if they ate the leaves after the implantation process? Could they still save them or would it have to be before? So that would that would have been interesting if Crean had been like, oh, feed them the leaves. Maybe you can save some of them, which that would have probably been too far (laughs) as well. So at this point, it kind of jumps to the future, and Ahalia has a family at this point, and she's become um instructor for the, the phalanx troops. Well, she's still the general, isn't she's she? General. This, or yeah. the general, right. It, it talks about these other humans, the northerners, which it's alluded to in like previous battles and stuff that have started appearing by the shores in these big ships. So I would have liked to learn more about them, but I guess that's that's for another potential book. I did actually like the bit where they said that they couldn't get off the island they were on because not only did they not know how to build ships, but if you stayed in one place too long, the aliens would get you anyway. So they could never get off the island. Uh-huh. Yeah. They were stuck. I wonder yeah. if maybe they, like the northerners could be, you know, some other engineering type thing, or maybe they were colonists that had made it from a different expedition. Yeah. Or maybe they were part of the um, the Nanshan, I think the ship was. Yeah, yeah it was part sure. of that. But yeah, that, that's, that's a question for a different sequel. So overall, I mean, I really enjoyed the book. I just don't know. Like there were a couple of moments where I wish it had gone more into the the darker tone we saw in the first act of the hardships of the runners. And I wish it would have stuck with her as a runner for a while. And maybe like she becomes a senior runner and it goes with that for a bit before she immediately becomes this general and the whole dynamic shifts. Like I wish that would have happened a bit later personally. But yeah, the book did not feel 
I wonder if there's less text on the page than, than typically is with these books because it didn't feel like a 500-page book. It felt like it was quicker. I think that's a testament to how well Scott writes, to be honest. Yeah. Yep. The, the pace was just, it was perfect. It was, it was perfect throughout. Like I say, I, I would compare it to Aliens, you know, the roller coaster structure of the story. Yeah. But I completely agree in terms of it being good. I think I like it a lot more than you do. Oh, two points more than I do. Two, two points more than you do. I, it's my only problem was I questioned the Caminus leaves stopping the chest bursting. Yeah. And, and yeah. it wasn't even really a problem as such. It was just a quick, mm, I'm not so sure about that. But otherwise, you know, it, it was a perfect book for me. And if you've listened to this and you haven't read it, you know, I seriously do recommend it. It is one of my top four favorite books. And I really, really, really want Scott to come back for another, another. another a novel length, whether it's a prequel, whether it's a sequel, whether it's something completely different. I don't care. It's just like with Alex where I want him back. I, you I didn't get the hardcover? Oh, I have. Uh, I got a uh, reading copy. Oh, I see. And then display copy. Nice. Display copy, because they did some signed. Yep. Yeah, I got a signed one. Yours was from Forbidden Planet, and I think mine was from a different one for the US. It was like, uh, let me see. Yeah, I've I've been getting signed copies of my favorite ones. So I've got on my, if you're watching, if you're not watching on YouTube, you can see my shelves behind me and I've got signed copies of uh, Phalanx, Cold Forge, Predator Turnabout and Predator South China Sea. And they're behind me, my favorite ones. Oh, getting the collection then. Well, I've got a signed copy of uh, Forever Midnight somewhere. That's been relegated to a box. <laughs> oh, Bless. He doesn't like that one. I need to read that again. We should do a podcast on that one since we never did. Yeah, sure. When when we've got a little space, I'm trying to find the U.S. retailer that sold the signed. Okay, well, you look at that while Chris gives us his um, his final thoughts. I really know what to say that I've not already said already. Like, I, I did really enjoy it. I enjoyed the fact that I was very wrong about my prejudgmental attitude going into the book. It was just a lot of fun. Like you said, it was just a roller coaster all the way throughout. It didn't feel like 14 hours 20 minutes because I listened to it twice. So that's pretty good. The audiobook itself. Fantastic, well narrated. Even Crean's Valley Girl, which will make you smile. Yeah, it's a great book. Like I said, I'll probably give it a nine or a ten out of ten. Probably more towards a nine, but just the goop affecting the so, chest hurts me. An eight, eight, nine, and a ten. Those are all positive scores. Um, yep. Definitely worth a read if you're a fan. That U.S. retailer is Mysterious Galaxy, so that's where I got my signed hardcover from. I don't know if they're still selling signed copies, but they are still selling the hardcovers if you would like to get a hardcover. Okay. Well, let's wrap up them because we don't want to keep Clara waiting. We've got some RPG to go play. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for listening or watching, depending on, on how you're doing this. Please, you know, feel free to leave us feedback, comments. You can email us at podcast at avpgalaxy.net or you can um, comment on the, the social posts that you've seen this link on. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you know, leave us a comment in the comment section down below. You can find the hub of our activity on avpgalaxy.net. There's message boards, written articles, news, very very active, um, very very much alive in this world of uh, Facebook groups. We're on all the socials under Alien vs Predator Galaxy versus as in VS dot or AVP Galaxy. And if you're not if you're not watching, if you are listening, you know, do please check out our YouTube channel as well. We do video versions of a lot of our editorial content, and we also do let's plays of the games, you know, the various games and stuff like that. So please head and check that one out. Hopefully, you'll enjoy what we've been doing. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been Corporal Hicks, Rich Top, and Sherry signing off. <laughs>